Hey guys, Christian here up top just to tell you, well, one, Jeff, relax. Nothing to see here. No silly jokes. Nothing going on. You're safe. It's okay. You can post the episode. I just want to let our listeners know that our guest today had uh, some scratching going on on their mic, and it's prevalent for about the first 17 minutes of the episode. Right around uh, minute 17, we were able to fix it, and it is not in any more of the episode after that. But those first 17 minutes, I tried to edit it out when he wasn't talking so you don't hear it, but you'll hear it some when he's talking. There's some scratching going on. If it bothers you too much, you can skip ahead. I think we do cover some good stuff in that first 17 minutes, but after that, it does go away, and there's uh, some fun stuff. Hope you enjoy the episode. Hashtag nice try. There it is. When that bass crashes in, you know it's time to begin. And wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune into DLC especially if you were one of our geeks in sneaks using this show to get you through a workout or a run. We're going to be with you in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes talking about video games because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be. And that is absolutely free. Thanks to our sponsor Squarespace. Squarespace. They made that possible, bringing the show to you. DLC, of course, the show all about games in their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. And also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata. That's spelled with two N's and one T. And I'm joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis. The guy who has never dropped off a 20-foot-high cage just to get back at his father. Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. I look forward to you listening to this entire episode before you can post it every minute. <laughs> every every thing of silence forever. For as long as we do D- DLCs, you must listen to the entire thing because this elephant, my friend, has a good memory. I'm just saying. Nice try. You, uh, yeah, yeah, you tried to get me, but you can't get, get you gotta be quicker than that. You gotta get up real early in the morning to get me, Christian Spicer. I yeah, think now. you listening to every episode before you post it is me winning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, thanks to all the people that uh, tweeted with the hashtag nice try. Cause it so was fun. A, it was a glorious week for me and, and, and my uh, gloating. It was um, great. Very fun. Hey, we got a great episode and we got a great guest. You know the DLC always stands for your uh, downloadable Kanata, your downloadable Christian. But this week, oh, man, I'm excited because we have a new guest. And DLC stands for Digital Lifestyle Columnist because we have a freelance writer who specializes in video games, movies, comics, and toys. You've seen his work all over the internet on places like GameCrate, Playboy.com, ComicBookResources.com, and his own website. We are pleased to welcome Mr. Paul Semmel to the show. Welcome, Paul. Hello, hello, hello. Well, that was quite the intro. I like that. Yeah, man. Uh, we're excited to have you. I've known Paul for a long time. It's your first time on the show, though. I'm, I'm really excited to finally get you on. Um, Paul and I were hobnobbing at, at some events this week, and uh, I'm, I'm glad we're going to get your your insight on uh, Uncharted and Quantum Break and stuff. It's going to be fun. I'm excited. Yeah. Right on. Uh, all right. Well, let's get right to it. We start the show the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week. It's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week. It's the Story of the Week. 
Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration using our hashtag DLCSOTW on Twitter or by visiting our subreddit at 5x5dlc.reddit.com. You can also send us feedback at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Tons of great feedback this week. Man, it was really cool, the discussions people were having. Uh, I'll be reading some of those emails later on. Uh, But let's start with our favorite stories. Um, Paul, you are our guest. So what is your story of the week? My my story of the week is uh, all the Final Fantasy announcements. Uh, yeah, I mean there's so there's so much to talk about there, and, and I think it's very interesting that we're still getting excited about the series, like you know, a thousand years later. Yeah, uh, Final Fantasy 15. Of course, uh, we found out it's being launched on September 30th. They had a big event here in Los Angeles at the Shrine Auditorium, hosted by a friend of the show, Game Over Greggy, Greg Miller, and. And his cohorts there, uh, and and uh, it was quite the to do. Final Fantasy fifteen, uh, evidently more than just a video game. It's going to be a transmedia extravaganza. I mean, we're talking full CGI film in the form of uh, King's Glaven, uh, as I've been calling it, uh, King's Glaven, uh, King's Glaive, which will be a, a full on um, you know high budget CGI movie sh- uh, voiced by Sean Bean and. Lena Headey and uh, all kinds of, you know, big, big name actors. Also an anime series called Brotherhood uh, is, is part of the mix. Uh, a demo was released. Um, man, this is, this is big stuff. Final Fantasy 15. And then of course the news that they're hoping that it sells 10 million copies over its lifetime, uh, which is real ambitious more than certainly more than any of the Final Fantasies other than seven have ever sold. Uh, what is your take on this? Are you excited for Final Fantasy 15, Paul? I, the, that's the funny thing is like, I, I've never played a Final Fantasy game to completion. It's, I'm usually not a big fan of turn-based combat, but I love what they're doing with this, with all the stuff. It sort of reminds me what they did with the first Dead Space. I don't know if you mm-hmm. guys remember, like with Dead Space, like they literally did like all of this kind of stuff. They did like a prequel comic. And then there was a prequel animated movie and it set up all this stuff. And then there was another prequel novel that came out later. I love that kind of stuff. I love anything that can expand upon the story. Um, As for the game itself, the thing I'm most excited for, oddly, is the pinball game that they're putting out. Right. Yeah. Standalone. uh, Inside the game, there's like a little mini pinball game kind of dealio. But it also is a mobile app that you can download on your mobile device and play outside of the game. Um, You know, I think... In a lot of ways, this release seems to be aimed right at you. You know, it's trying to serve all of the Final Fantasy stalwarts, all the people who are uh, big fans of the series, but also bringing in people like you who, who, and me, really. I mean, I mean, I played a lot of Final Fantasy, but I was never a Final Fantasy guy. You know, gone are the turn-based combat. This is, you know, full-on sort of Kingdom Hearts-style action combat. Um, so I think it's, you know, it's, it's kind of reaching out to a more Western audience and certainly some of the stuff we saw with the trailer, it looked really cool, like a flying car. I mean, I'm always down for flying cars and right. just a fun, bunch of bros hanging out being bros. Um, are you, uh, did you rush out and download the demo that they put out? No, I had other things I had to do this, this weekend and, and, but I definitely want to check this one out. Cause like I said, I'm not a fan of the turn-based combat and the fact that they're, not going that route with this makes me wonder if this might be, you know, this happens every once in a while where there's a series that I'm not into 
and then something changes and they it clicks with me. That happened with Ratchet and Clank years ago. Like I never was into Ratchet and Clank like the early ones because of the because of the controls. And then they revamped them for the future series, and now I'm like, oh yeah, okay, now I like this series. So I'm sort of wondering if this might be the one that does this. Christian, I can't remember if you're a Final Fantasy guy. I, I was trying to get Garnet Lee to weigh in on this on, on today's episode because I know he's he's the biggest Final Fantasy fan I know, but we couldn't make it happen in time. Um, are you are you excited for Final Fantasy, Christian? Final Fantasy for me has always been the type of game that I want to get into, even from like as a little young gamer, right, where I had older friends that were into these worlds. And for whatever reason, I don't know if it's the turn based, if it's anime art style has never resonated with me. Short answer, Final Fantasy has never like if they quit existing or never existed, I don't think I would notice. Yeah, because they have for years at a time. um it's interesting because you know i I, for me it was always about i was super into role-playing games that was like my genre i still love them obviously but uh growing up it was all about pc role-playing games and there was a a clear delineation between the sort of pc sort of D &D descendant role-playing game and the eastern you know final fantasy-esque uh role-playing game And, and they really had two complete different camps and different styles. And I was always much more into that, that PC scene of, you know, Ultima and wizardry and might and magic. Uh, and, uh, and I love, you know, there was some games I love. I still love Grandia two to the, my very core. I, I love the, I love that game. And there are lots of, uh, you know, Japanese role-playing games that, that I fell in love with, but I played seven, you know, I played eight. I played, I, I played them all sort of a little bit, but, and I, and I really got into 14 pretty heavily but um, I never considered myself a Final Fantasy guy. I'm not sure I saw anything at this event that will turn me around. I also didn't rush out and download the demo, but the demo looks a little silly, you know? There's a little silliness there, which I think is a good thing, is a fun thing, but it just didn't kind of incite me to rush out and, and download it. Um, I don't know. What do you think, Paul, about this uh, this 10 million unit number do you think that that it's a realistic goal for them to set it sounds ambitious but do you think that there's enough people out there that want to play this game in in this day and age i no not for the game itself and not in the in the near time like i don't think like in over the next three years for example this game will sell that many i mean maybe they're talking like over the course of the next 20 years when they re-release it a bunch of times and and maybe they're talking about all the other stuff that goes with it and I think they've actually since kind of corrected themselves on the 10 million. Cause like most games don't sell 10 million. And like you said, the series only ever once has come close to that. So I don't think that's a realistic number, but I also don't think they really think that. Yeah. Well, they're certainly making it a big deal and, and building an entire universe around it. I think in a lot of ways, building that hype and making it this transmedia property is kind of putting their flag in the, in the ground and saying Final Fantasy is still one of the top tier franchises in games. And, you know, one of the things I tweeted during the event that it made me you know, remember is, and I think a lot of young players probably don't remember this. It, there was a time when Western video games were not as well respected as Eastern video games, when Japanese companies and Jap- the Japanese style of making video games really ruled and everybody wondered whether the Western Western game companies would ever be able to catch up. And, 
it's such a strange thing to think back on now because we are so at the opposite end of that. We're where Japanese companies seem to be faltering and, and there hasn't been this, there isn't this, um, you know, mass, these massive franchises from of the Eastern side that still seem to sell in big numbers. And now that Western style, all these, all these Eastern developers are sort of making their games cater to a Western audience, which I find fascinating. Um, it's going to be an interesting time to see how Final Fantasy 15 does. Well, I think too, though, to your point about like the shift in the, you know, the focus of where gaming comes from and and, and whatnot, I think it's important to remember that this stuff can change. And I, the industry is young enough that I can't say it's cyclical yet. And then, you know, we're five years away from Japan being prominent again or Eastern Europe or whatever it is. But, you know, so much of the industry can change relatively quickly, especially considering how young the industry is and how huge of a swing it went from Japanese developed games to now US and Western developed style games that to think that Final Fantasy can't be a 10 million seller again or to write it off. I mean, heck, what was it, uh, you know, 10 years ago, thinking the fact that Capcom would be what it is today and that street fighter five like the fifth number like wouldn't it be the biggest selling game ever it'd be like yeah right get out get out of here and it's just it's fascinating to to keep in perspective how little data we have right because i mean the industry's 50 years old maybe so i don't know yeah and i think i think a lot of that can be attributed quite honestly to the xbox uh the fact that a western company put out a console changed everything. And I think so, so few people maybe remember that, you know, Halo and the Xbox one, the first Xbox uh, changed the playing field. And uh, you know, everything was sort of Eastern, Eastern companies making uh, you know, Asian companies making consoles and, and that market and those developers sort of defining what it was on the console side. And then this Western company coming in, making a, 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 basically a computer in a box that could play much more sort of traditionally PC type games. I mean, a first person shooter on a console was an unheard of thing, a relatively unheard of thing before Halo made it, you know, standardized the way the controllers worked. You know, you had workarounds for GoldenEye and stuff like that beforehand. But I think that really was the, the sea change that started it all. Well, that's another good point, too, just with the idea of how cyclical is the wrong word. I keep wanting to use it, but how much the winds can shift. I mean, when we were doing We Can Confirm, Jeff, like how often what did the conversation come up? Like, is PC gaming dying? And how Oculus and Vive not only require a PC, they require beasts of PCs. And this is the future of gaming, not just gaming, but the future of everything. And so, no, PC gaming isn't dead. It's huge. And no... Japanese gaming won't be dead. It will likely be huge again. Do I think Final Fan- this Final Fantasy will sell 10, 10 million? Yeah, only if you view it the way Paul, you know, hypothesized like 100 years from now <laughs> right. after they've released it on iPad 20 or whatever, maybe, but uh, <laughs> not anytime soon. Well, Christian, what is your story of the week? My story of the week is an interesting topic, I think. So I know we'll talk about Quantum Break later in terms of people you've been playing it. But I also think I come to this every couple of years, every couple of months, the idea of reviews. And I don't want this to be about Batman versus Superman, but I know Paul has written some great reviews for various outlets. And and I was reading his Quantum Break over at his site, and I don't know what purpose reviews necessarily serve for blockbuster stuff that you're already tracking so let's say you know final fantasy comes out and gets 
threes across the board. Does that impact its sales in a big way or does it just create a flame war? Uh, Batman versus Superman, the a, a movie, you know, got critically panned. And yet in my timeline, I kept seeing everyone going to see it and then saying, oh, it was bad. Don't see it. But you literally already knew that, but you went anyway. And I know some people liked it, whatever. And so now for Quantum Break, I've, I've read from people whose opinions I normally trust and can kind of slot myself in between wildly different takes about whether this game is good or not. And so, Paul, I'd love to get your take on on the idea of the review. When you sat down to play Quantum Break and you wrote this game or any game, you know, what did you hope to impart in it? And do you think that anyone will read it and go, I will or will not get this game? Well, I think that's that's why you do a review. The whole point of the review is to help somebody make that decision. But I think you're deluding yourself as a reviewer if you think or even hope that someone will just read your review and and make their decision based on that. I don't think that's what you should be doing. I think they should be looking at my review and other people's reviews that they trust and then also looking at at trailers and if there's a demo available, playing the demo and using all of those things and making their decision with the knowledge that this is your decision to make. And that, you know, if you end up liking a game that I hate, great. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I wanted to enjoy it. I didn't. But, you know, I don't think – but you do kind of go into it like a thinking, especially with something like Quantum Break, which I did not like. There's a part of you that does sort of hope, like, I hope other people don't like it too so everybody kind of doesn't buy it. Do you know what I mean? Like, as weird as that sounds, is like you, you – you want to be somebody who's, I mean, not to be like a superhero or something stupid, but like, you know, you want to protect the, the, you want to protect gamers from wasting their money. Yeah, I agree with that. And I, I, you know, I've been a big advocate for exactly what you said, Paul, which is, uh, you know, I want to like something. If you like it and I don't, more power to you. I also think that the, the purpose of the review Yes, is to inform buying decisions and yes, give you as much as much information and as many tools as you can to to decide whether or not you want to participate in that media, whatever it is. But also, I think it is to inspire conversation. And I think the general conversation around something has become equally valuable to people. And that's why I think in a large sense, people still want to experience the thing that's getting panned. People still want to go see Batman and V Superman because they want to be part of that conversation, whether that conversation is positive or negative. It doesn't really matter because it's this cultural thing that's happening and they want to weigh in with their own first person opinion. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that either. But does that first, so, I mean, the reason I'm picking this story this week is Quantum Break. You know, I have told you numerous times, Jeff, like in Remedy, I trust. Right. And now I literally don't know, <laughs> you know, what to do. Like $60. If someone sent me a review copy, would I play 10 hours of it? Sure. Of course I would. But if I'm sitting here looking at a $60 expense and then knowing the other games that are coming down the pipe that are going to be spending $60 on. And I feel like this game, you look at a Metacritic and it's like 70 or whatever, and that's fine. But again, it's like people I know and trust love it, hate it. And oftentimes for different reasons. Right. <laughs> and so it's like this, this this weird thing of, yeah, of course you want to experience the thing. But like at what point do you not want to experience the thing? Like what's the point 
of having a, a review out there at all if it's not going to influence people and oh well you know they don't know what they're talking about i like remedy i'm gonna play it anyway and then here i am out sixty dollars five hours sixty dollars five hours later thinking that was a mistake <laughs> it's just it's that's I mean, that's not something that any review can can influence, right? I mean, Dark Souls three, Dark Souls three reviews are coming out today. Uh, reviews coming out all the time, right? And and, and there are ups and there's downs. And you know, the Polygon review for Dark Souls three is a little lower than most people had thought. And you know, there's, I think it's it's more about having that conversation from a lot of different places. And you know, a Metacritic or a Rotten Tomatoes that gives you an aggregate, I don't think that really helps. I think it's more about sort of feeling your way through having trusted opinions. I think, you know, deep in your heart, you know, that you probably are going to be disappointed by quantum break, but maybe not, you know, like it's, 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 there's not going to be anybody that's going to give you the answer. That's the problem. I'll give you the answer. <laughs> Cause this is the thing. If you're, if you're reading reviews of people who you trust and some people are liking it and some people are not, what that says to me is, you should wait until the game is cheaper so that if you do buy it and you don't like it, you don't feel as bad having blown 60 bucks, you know, because you've only blown 20. Right. That's a, that's pretty solid advice. And I hear that a lot from listeners to the show too, is, is, you know, people who are late gamers. Uh, I don't know if that's what they call themselves, but uh, the people who wait on stuff and who are, you know, just experiencing The Witcher 3 now because they can get it on GOG for, for $25. And that's a game that got universal praise, but it's just sort of a wise buying decision to wait for stuff to come down and not have to always have the newest, latest, best, but to, you know, sweep in through stuff later and experience it and make your own opinions. I think that's a completely valid way to be a consumer and a video game lover. So my last part on this, that I, it's, it's curiosity that I don't know. Let's say there's something that you're extremely hyped for, you personally, whatever that is, VR for you, Jeff, and whatever you're the biggest fan of, Paul. Like that thing is about to come out. It has looked great. You know, you've seen trailers or whatever at press conferences and you're totally jazzed for it. And then the retail thing comes out and it gets universally panned. Will you still buy it? You personally, would you still buy it? Well, uh, go ahead, Paul. I it would depend on what it is. Um, I love Metallica. I will buy Metallica's next album the day it comes out if I can't figure out a way to get a copy from my friend who's their publicist. Uh, <laughs> same, same with a lot of bands. Same with a lot of authors. Chuck Palahniuk, um, a couple other people. I and I, but I do that knowing full well that I may not like it and I'm okay with that because I know there was no way that I wasn't going to buy it the day it came out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm right there with you, man. I, there's a lot of stuff like that. Prince albums. Um, you know, there's uh, authors, you know, any Neil Stevenson book that comes out, I'm going to buy no matter what uh, it, it's, it's, I think the perfect example on the other side though for me is the Apple watch because I was as hyped as anybody, you know, at approaching the Apple watch. I was ready to have Apple convince me I needed to have a watch on. I don't wear watches, but I was ready to, I was ready to, you know, line up. But then the Apple watch came out, the reviews were meh and the item itself seemed non-revolutionary. And I went, I'm not going to get one. And I, I've even had people 
my wife was like, I'll, I'll get you one as a gift for, for your birthday. And I was like, do not, I don't, I don't even, <laughs> I don't even want it for free, you know? Like, so it's, it goes either way. And I think it's, I don't think making up your own mind is an invalid argument for experiencing something. I don't think that people going to see Batman v Superman are dumb. And I don't think people buying a game and playing it to make up their own mind is a bad idea. I don't. But I also don't think that invalidates reviews. I think it's all about having this, this sort of global conversation and finding the voices that resonate with you and having that interaction and going, hey, you know, am I the only person that sees these things in this thing? Or do other people have counterpoints that I maybe need to reconsider? All of that, you know, I think a, a critic's job is not to tell you yes or no. It's to uh, it's to start a conversation. And I think that that's really the best you can hope for. That's interesting, because I think it's then hard to have a conversation if you also haven't experienced it. So you're saying it's to start a conversation that the, my only counterpoint to it would be someone else's writing or review if I also haven't experienced it. So if the critic's job is to start a conversation, then I also still need to go do the things that I can engage further in that conversation. Otherwise, I'm having a conversation built around hearsay. And I don't want to belabor this too much. I just can't get my mind around it. And it's kind of like, I feel like sometimes, you know, with the internet or wherever, you're just preaching to the choir, you find your echo chamber. And it's like, uh, Zelda's the best game ever, or Dark Souls is the best game ever. It's more souls, more souls. And then you just get lost in that. And anyone else that says otherwise, it's like, well, they're an idiot. They don't get it. And then at the same time, it's don't play this game. You will not like it. I'm a huge, it's just, I don't know. I'd love if the audience has an opinion about why we're doing this. (laughs) No, but I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, misrepresent what I'm saying. I, I I do like having my own first person experience with stuff to be involved in a conversation, but I also enjoy reading about things that I, I never experienced. I have read so many interesting articles about Dwarf Fortress, the game. I've never played a second of it, but it's, I find it fascinating. I find, I find half the stuff I read about Minecraft fascinating. I played some Minecraft, but I'm certainly not somebody that plays Minecraft daily. There, there are plenty of games that, and movies and books and all kinds of things that I love being a part of the conversation as a passive listener. And I think that's just as legitimate a way to experience something as, you know, expressing your own opinion too. All right. Uh, A real real juicy, no, it's a real juicy topic that I'm sure we'll, we'll bring up on future episodes as well. And yeah, um, you know, you can always send feedback to dlcfeedback at gmail.com and let us know how you feel about this stuff. I mean, we're kind of in a privileged position too, because, you know, we we can justify (laughs) our need to, to experience things or certainly I can, um, you know, more legitimately and go, well, I, Maybe if I was just, you know, just experiencing this as a hobby, I might not uh, need to weigh in with my opinion. But because I'm, you know, making my living doing some of this stuff, I, I, you know, have a more of a impetus to play or view. I'd like to think that I wouldn't have gone to see Batman v Superman uh, if I didn't have to. But I don't know. Maybe not. (laughs) Um, I would have gone to see it anyway. (laughs) You would have? Yeah. Yeah. Just to know. Just because I was curious about it, just because I love the characters and I was interested in the movie. And and look, movie critics are not, this is specific to movie critics, movie critics are not known for liking comic book movies and big dumb action movies. That's true. We do need to take a second to thank our sponsor this week, Squarespace. Oh man, I'm sure you've heard me talk about Squarespace because I genuinely use it myself. I love Squarespace. 
jeffcanada.com, built, housed, created on Squarespace. Uh, and I wouldn't use any other thing. I honestly have recommended Squarespace to so many people in my own life. My in-laws <laughs> built a website using Squarespace. The reason I use it, the reason I recommend it is because it's the best. It's the best, easiest way to create something on the internet, to create a website of any kind, an online portfolio of any kind, even an online storefront. Everything is easy with Squarespace. And not only that, your site looks great and it's not going to look like every other site on the web. It's not going to look cookie cutter or, you know, like you use some kind of template. They do have templates, but they've got countless templates and it's easy for you to make that template your own because all the editing is done drag and drop. What you see is what you get. You don't have to have any coding experience. You can create something beautiful and effective and unique and your own by using their easy to use tools. It's phenomenal. I got to tell you, Squarespace really is the best way to create anything online. Plus, it's very inexpensive, and that might be the best part of all. You can try out Squarespace completely free. You don't even have to put in a credit card. They're not going to automatically charge you after a certain period of time. Just create your site, create what you want in Squarespace using their tools by visiting squarespace.com slash DLC. Create what you want, and then if you decide you like it, then only then do you put in your credit card and put in our promo code, which is Jeff sent me, J-E-F-F-S-E-N-T-M-E. Put in Jeff sent me, get 10% off your purchase, show that you support our show and have a great looking website that's easy to use. All you got to do, squarespace.com slash DLC and that promo code Jeff sent me. Well, we'll talk more specifically about our thoughts on Quantum Break uh, during the playlist, but I do want to bring up my story of the week. And again, this is a little self-serving, I guess, but it, it's a major story. And it is something that I think is, I certainly have my heart in. And, and everybody knows how much I'm excited about uh, VR, the VR future, which is supposed to have happened. As of tomorrow, both of the big VR releases was supposed to have happened, Oculus and Vive. But if there's anything that will dampen my enthusiasm for these the, the releases of these things it's the way these releases have been handled which is i think baffling and completely bungled um obviously the oculus has already been released on paper but very few people have gotten their oculuses uh there was a press release uh from oculus and a tweet from uh, oculus ceo uh brendan Uribe talking about how uh, there has been this, quote, unexpected component shortage, uh, which is very vague and kind of unsatisfying from my perspective. Uh, they are refunding everybody, or not refunding, but um, not charging everybody who has already pre-ordered their shipping costs, which is, I think, a nice gesture. But the idea that they would be you know, taking orders as early as they did getting what you would expect to be ready for a release of this thing and then not being able to, to fulfill those orders in a timely fashion is strange. They're saying at October, or excuse me, um, April 12th, they'll be updating everybody and let them know when they can expect their orders, uh, which is one thing. But then the other big VR component or uh, release, the Vive, is having its own problems that have been very frustrating to me this week. Uh, I was excited thinking I'd get my Vive uh, starting tomorrow. But no, uh, they have had all kinds of problems. I was on the phone with customer service uh, this weekend because the credit card that I use for my pre-order has since been compromised and I had to get a replacement card in the interim. 
and customer service refused to update my credit card. Other users and, and pre-order uh, customers have reported saying that their credit cards were were uh, declined or that things they just got canceled. Their order just got canceled because they were um, strange shenanigans happening with, with uh, trying to put their order through. And so that instead of contacting them and trying to make it happen, they just canceled it outright. Uh, they released a statement, Vive released a statement, or HTC, I should say, released a statement saying that they will make sure that this will be fixed. But I haven't certainly received any kind of uh, outreach from from HTC. And I certainly had a terrible time on the phone. I talked to a manager on the customer service line. He said, I can't change your payment method, which is crazy to me. Crazy to me. Uh, he said that if I changed your payment method, you would go at the, to the end of the line. So anyway, uh, VR future was tenuous already with people sort of being skeptical about the high price point and everything. And now to have this happen, I think it's it's really off to a real shaky start. What's your take on this, Paul? Well, with with the Oculus, there's a part of me that's sympathetic to them and there's part of me that's not because we've seen this kind of stuff happen before. And if you're going to take pre-orders, like you said, so far in advance, you know how many you're going to need. You know how you're going to have to like do this. And I think actually Sony said this last week that they had bumped back the release of their VR to make sure that they could, you know, have enough supply for the demand. Right. Um, with your credit card problems that sounds like more of like a credit card issue and like that kind of, I mean, I'm not excusing what they're doing. I'm saying that that has less to do with the VR and the VR unit than it does just sort of, you know, whoever it is they hired to handle their, their credit card handling. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? Like it's more of a billing issue than, than a, and a customer support issue, right. In, In messaging and, and also like, the thing that gets sticks in my craw so much uh, as somebody who's very excited about this stuff is the complete lack of communication from both camps about when you should expect your, your pre-order. Like we're, we're at this point now where companies, and I know Christian, to your credit, you've brought this up many, many times, but companies will gleefully take your, take your pre-order dollars and then feel no obligation to communicate with you as to when you should expect fulfillment on that, on that, on that, uh, that order. Like it, it, it's so very frustrating to, to just sort of feel like you're in limbo and you don't know whether you're in the first shipment or the second shipment or the 12th shipment. Um, and you feel like, well, they've, they've got my money. Don't, shouldn't they at least express to me some kind of expectation as to, as to when this product will be shipped? I don't know. Well, this is the thing. And I think it's interesting because HTC certainly has made things and shipped things and, Maybe this is their first product that has this huge pre-order type buzz. You know, they've made some great phones over the years and other... I'm sure there's a lot of pre-orders from some of those phones. The HTC One, wasn't that like a big yeah. deal? Yeah, it was. They had some great phones. So yeah, I don't know why they're messing up messaging because I, I, I agree with Paul. Like the credit card thing is a little tough and weird. I mean, everybody's card, I feel like, you know, will get compromised at some point and you do get stuck with those annoying things. But I also think that maybe the i don't know this is a bigger than this product but like there should be some type of bank service or something that rolls that over but my the biggest problem and i think the thing that is frustrating you the most jeff is the communication and it's between both what oculus is doing and what htc is doing like imagine if oculus just 
even if they just sent you an email, like just, 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 it just said, hi, you know, random user based on the name that you put in. Hey, Jeff, no update on when your Oculus is shipping yet. Please know we're working hard to get orders fulfilled as they were received. We're excited for you to experience the VR future. In the meantime, enjoy this awesome wallpaper of the first prototype Oculus we ever made as photographed for the upcoming Wired, you know, issue on VR. And then you get this thing and you're like, neat. I, I wish I had my unit, but at least they know I exist still. Or if like no, I- HTC just reached out and said, hey, user, um, we've had some card problems with your unit. We know that your unit is important to you. And we wanted to let you know as soon as possible that blah, 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 blah. Because obviously their system's getting pinged that there's a payment problem at right. some point, right? Because they're canceling them. Imagine if they just had an auto email to go out to people. Well, and I, that'd make you feel better, right? I, I More than that, though, I, I don't need to be placated with a wallpaper or something. What I want is, hey, it was two weeks since we got your order. Uh, based on your order number and your positioning, we're expecting your release window to be your, you know, expected shipping window to be these weeks, right? Hey, uh, two weeks later, uh, it's, it's been a month since we got your order. Uh, things we got more orders than we anticipated. And we're going to have to change your, your anticipated shipping window to these weeks. Hey, uh, it's two months since we got your order. Um, we've anticipated, we've, you know, had some interesting problems with getting the components that we need, we apologize. We just want to let you know that you're now your new shipping window is these weeks. Like keep me updated as to when you think this is going to happen. That's what so I So you want. just want the fairy from Zelda to work at Oculus and just, Hey, listen. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be a little tinkle, a little tinkle. It'd be great. But I'm saying that even something less specific could play, could make you feel better. You just want to know that you're remembered. I don't know. It's like, it's like a relationship, except they have, between the two of them, over a thousand of your dollars. Oh, yes, nearly two. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's so frustrating to me. I know this is. Anyway, the good oh, news also, is the good news I, uh, is we don't have to listen to me talk about all the VR games I'm playing because I'm not playing any of them. I should tell our audience, so I I did pre-order the PlayStation VR. Yeah, you did, dude. Welcome to the VR future. Now, I think that as Paul brought up, uh, Sony kind of was smart that. October, you know, is a long time away. They have a lot of time to work on this. But again, like you don't have any idea when, where you are in the queue, right? For your pre-order. You don't know if you're getting it on day one or not, right? No, I just know I pre-ordered it through Amazon and they won't charge my card until it's shipped. So if Sony comes out at E3 and has an awesome VR lineup, I'll feel confident that I'm somewhere in that first batch. And if they come out with nothing, then I just cancel it. (laughs) How do you feel about pre-orders, Paul? You know, I, I go back to what I was saying earlier about about Metallica. Like, there are some things that I would pre-order because I know that I'm going to want it anyway. And there's some things that I wouldn't pre-order, you know, because I'd want to wait and see how they are. I mean, with hardware, I don't know. I, I tend to feel about hardware the same way I feel about restaurants. Like, you don't want to be in that first group. You want to wait until they kind of shake the bugs out. Because, like, how often have we seen you know, hardware that comes out and like the first batch has got some kind of weird bug and like you got to wait like a week for like the software update or whatever. Like I'd rather wait until they kind of work out the kinks and then I'll go in and and have the banana souffle. Yeah, I I think that's a very sensible position. It's one I certainly recommend to others. But for me, and I know everybody knows this about me, newest, latest, best guy, I, I feel like the 
and I guess Apple has sort of com- conditioned me to feel this. I feel like the every day after the release of something that I buy it is one day shorter of its life that will before it gets replaced by its next iteration. <laughs> right? It's 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 got a finite life cycle before it gets replaced by a better thing and I'm just getting fewer days of its of it being the <laughs> best of the version of that. So, I don't know. It's very it's a very stupid position I I freely admit. Well, some hey, of the things that worry about that with Metallica. <laughs> <laughs> well, if they made Metallica two plays for that matter. If they made a v- Metallica VR concert, uh, I think you'd be you'd be excited. Well, I think some of your fear though, Jeff, is rooted in, and I share this is it's one thing like a restaurant or something that you think that maybe you can go when they get the kinks worked out, you know, soon thereafter. But some of these things, rightfully or wrongfully, like the Wii, if you didn't pre-order or get in line for a Wii way back when when it launched, I mean, it was months until you were able to get one. And so if you think that you want to be in on this thing and it stinks, I mean, it's not a good spot to be in where it's like if you think you want a Tesla Model 3, you better give them your thousand dollars right now and wait two years. and because what are the production realities of when you'd get it or otherwise, like, let's say you think you need a new car in two years and you want an electric car. Well, too bad. Now you got to wait four years. So they really get you with this either real or perceived scarcity of these kind of tech launches. And it, I think it, at some point, I think there will be the backlash of the consumer not willing just to go along with it, but we're not there yet. I mean, yeah. you put your money down on the VR. I put mine down, uh, I I almost put money on a Tesla. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a uh, it's certainly first world problems, and I know it, it may sound even stupid to whine about it, but I I do think this does not have a positive effect on VR adoption. I mean, maybe it makes people more crazed to get their hands on it, but it you know it's something that needs as much help as possible to sort of be a smooth and positive experience for people. It has a yet another, I think, senseless and easily avoided situation where, you know, if you're, if you're pre-ordering something, my feeling is if a company is accepting money for pre-orders, they should have a realistic understanding of when that is going to be, they're going to fulfill that. Like the fact that GameSpot will take pre-orders on a game that has just like had whispers of rumors being that it's going to be happening is, is <laughs> stupid. Is stupid. Um, all right, I want to move on because there's lots of juicy stuff to talk about in our playlist. Uh, there are a couple of other stories I'll just mention in passing. The fact that we might be getting a Shadows of Mordor 2, uh, which was uh, surprising no one, but I'm sure you're excited about Christian because Shadows of Mordor is one of your favorite games. I would love to see what additional Shadows Mordor casts. Yes. <laughs> also, this uh, Phil Spencer not interested in a uh, Xbox 1.5 uh, story is 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 kind of interesting too with uh him kind of coming out at the build conference and saying, uh, we want more solid iteration, not just sort of a 0.5 iteration, which is funny because the Sony 0.5 thing only came out of the Microsoft story, at least according to, uh, according to, um, last week when we had, um, Oh my God, my Patrick, Patrick Klepek on. Yeah. Um, Anyway, but uh, those are stories that will develop over time. We'll come back to them. Let's get to our playlist because uh, I want to hear Paul talk about the things he's been playing and I've been playing as well. So let's do that right now. All right, Paul. uh, So what should we start with first? Quantum Break or Uncharted 4? Let's, Let's start with Uncharted 4. All right. So you and I were enthusiastic about that. Are there going to be... 
I need to know if I'm stepping away. No, like, you don't need... Well, this, you, you, this is the game that... This is my Metallica. You know what I mean? You're welcome to step away if you want. I will say this. What we saw had almost zero story beats in it. Um, it, it was a kind of mechanical demo that was very brief. We all we got to play. It was about, I don't know, about 20 minutes uh, of, of playtime. And it featured basically just kind of one big... Uh, a, a little bit of exploration that was very uninteresting. I mean, not... Not uninteresting, but just... Okay, I'll stay, but... Yeah. Uh, ooh. Okay, go ahead. Make me, make me angry. All right, Paul. Uh, what, what did you think about uh, Uncharted for A Thief's End? The, the, we got to see a little Madagascar level. Right. Yeah, I kept waiting for the characters from the Madagascar movies to show up, and <laughs> I remembered I don't have any idea who they are. Um, I, You know, I've, I've always liked the Uncharted games and... There were definitely things about this one that I really liked. You know, you spend the part that we got to see. You're, there's a very large open area, and you're in a jeep, and you get to drive around, and you kind of get to explore. And there's little ruins you can find, and um, it's it's a bit different from if you remember in Uncharted Three, Drake gets lost in the desert, and you're wandering around, and you but like no matter where you go, you still end up like in the same sort of places. This isn't like that. This is actually like a large area that you get to drive around. And it was sort of interesting, some of the things they did, because it was very much like, okay, you can go wherever you want. Oh, but there's a cliff over there. And hey, Nathan just noticed this over there. And like, you know, hey, maybe you want to like go drive over there. And, you know, I thought that was kind of clever what they did with that stuff. Yeah. And uh, the the Jeep certainly seems to be a big part of the game. I mean, we all saw the E3 demo last year. Uh, that featured the Jeep. And it's certainly from that, from that bit, uh, you could think that maybe the Jeep was just for that one big action sequence, but it certainly seems like the Jeep is going to be a big part of the game. And I'm of course reminded by uh, Arkham Knight and and the Batmobile. And I think <laughs> in a lot of ways, they sort of are going a little bit similar direction with that in the sense that they're doing these kind of Jeep platforming segments, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, there was one of the things I thought was sort of interesting is is there's a there's a scene in the demo that we got to see, which is uh, chapter ten, if I remember correctly. And you basically you're driving around, you can't drive up this one hill because it's muddy, but you have a winch on the front of the jeep, kind of like it kind of reminds me of like that scene in Jurassic Park. And like, so you basically grab the wrench, winch, you run up the hill, you tie it around a, a tree, and then use that to pull pull the jeep. Uh, but that's all the Jeep does. Like the Jeep doesn't have the things that the Batmobile has on it. Right. Like it doesn't have like all these like weird weapons and doesn't convert into a tank and, and, and stuff. So I, I get why you have that Arkham Knight feel, but I don't, I think those guys know well enough that this needs to be sort of the amuse-bouche of the game, <laughs> not the center of the game. I think that might be the first time anyone's used a mouche bouche on on our show, and I, I applaud you, sir. Um, Thank you. I, it's interesting too because uh, Uncharted, you know, the, the whole series is is very grounded and very realistic in a lot of ways, and in other ways, it's like I would never be clinging to the side of a cliff like that guy. I, that's insane. And in the same way, I feel like I would never be driving my jeep where he drives it. That's insane. Um, so it's it's funny. I, I did like the mechanics of the winch. 
because it's not like walk up and press X to winch. It's you literally have to like wind your, your winch cord around what you want it to be around. And I don't know, I thought that little touch was, was more realistic and cool. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, they could very easily have done it where it's a gas powered winch and you point it at the tree and you hit a button and then it, you know, shoots a a winch spear at the tree. (laughs) Right. Right. I mean, I'm sure somebody could jury rig something like that, you know, go on MacGyver on it. But like (laughs) the fact that they were like, no, like let's stick with this and like actually have you do stuff with it. You know? Yeah. I'm curious to see if you do anything else with it. Yeah. I'm sure you, break something with it. I'm I mean, sure it's used a bunch. I mean, if it's, if, you know, I don't know, I keep rem- reminded of, of the Batmobile, but maybe it's not that ubiquitous. Maybe it is more amuse-bouche. Um, also, there's a, a large uh, action sequence in, in the game, and we were, our attention was drawn to the uh, the new updates to the combat system, which I think are are numerous and interesting. I I'm impressed with uh, what they've done, and it, it certainly seems to have been influenced in large part from what they learned from Last of Us. Uh, there's a much more emphasis on stealth and on on uh, uh, Drake being, you know, kind of attacking f- people from behind, kind of like you did in in uh, Last of Us, to sort of whittle their numbers down rather than just run in with guns blazing. You certainly still could run in with guns blazing, but what the sequence we played was much more challenging. Uh, because there were snipers everywhere and you were, you were likely to get taken out pretty quickly unless you kind of stuck in the weeds and, and yanked people down from behind and sort of whittled their numbers. Uh, tall grass was used as a, a hiding spot and everything was, was contextual and handled automatically. So if you were in tall grass, you were automatically in stealth. There's no button to crouch for stealth. It was just sort of happening or not happening. Uh, there were meters indicating the awareness of the enemies. So very, very much last of us esque. Um, there were new moves that he could do. Obviously the, the new grappling hook, you can swing on stuff, which was pretty cool. Uh, Paul, do you want to talk a little bit about that action sequence? Yeah. I mean, the, the one thing that I, that I sort of noticed and we, we didn't play enough of it for it to get on my nerves if it's going to, but like when you, when you are sneaking up on people, like, you know, there's this meter above their head. It kind of reminds me of like the, the diamonds that go above the Sims characters. And as it fills up, it's like, that's how suspicious they are. And when they're suspicious, capital letters, like they turn yellow. And at that point I kind of was like, okay, this looks way more gamey than previous iterations of the series, which really did feel like you were like the director of an interactive movie. Mm. So I, I, I don't know if that annoys me yet, but like it could be one of those things where like after seeing it a lot, like it kind of gets on my nerves. That said, I like the fact that you have this stealth thing. And this is a trend that I've noticed in games a lot recently, like Wolfenstein did this and and a bunch of other games where they're not stealth games per se, but you can use stealth to kind of thin out the numbers before like you go full shooting right right couldn't think of the word there yeah yeah i think that's i think that's kind of the idea is that yeah whittle them down so you're not dealing with you know 20 guys you're dealing with 15 or 10 guys uh but then you're still gonna have a guns blazing moment and i think i think it's much more along the lines of dishonored or i mean it's not we're not all the way to uh metal gear right we're not all the way to uh, stealth out the entire team and they never knew you were there i mean i'm i'm 
I'm sure you could get that way if you're really tedious about it. But I think the game is, as you said, sort of trying to set up a situation where some of that, it's a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little column A, a little column B. Uh, right. and, I, and I like that. I, I'm not, I don't like the pressure of all stealth. And I, I do like the pressure. I mean, I do like the option of like, okay, I'll take this guy out because he looks like a nasty sniper that I don't want to deal with. And I'll climb up behind him and yank him down from the ledge or whatever. Um, so I have obviously have not played this game or seen anything other than the E3 reveal, but I feel like that kind of gets me excited because that to me is what Uncharted has always tried to do, which is the un, unashamed wink to Indiana Jones. It might even be a wink, a nod and a tip of the hat where, you know, it's the best laid plans. You get into this thing and it's like, all right, we're going to get in. We're going to get out. It's going to be easy snakes why do there have to be you know like stuff goes wrong and it's capturing those moments of like okay it's gonna be easy i got two guys here i'm gonna pick these guys off oh crap here are 10 guys okay i'm swinging on a vine i'm gonna swing on a vine i'm gonna kill these guys i'm gonna i'm falling from a cliff i'm falling from a cliff i'm gonna climb up i'm gonna climb up i'm gonna climb up i'm gonna shoot these guys i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do this i'm gonna jeep i'm gonna jeep ah <gasps> witty 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 dialogue <laughs> that pretty much like, sums it up to me that's uncharted yeah and and i think uh, you know i had a conversation with neil Druckmann at the event um which you can see on cnet and uh one of the things I asked him was like, you know, the last bit of Indiana Jones that wasn't in this game is the whip. And now you've got this grappling hook, which is basically the whip. <laughs> uh, he's like, yeah, yeah. You know, he wasn't denying it, but he was saying it came from mechanics first. It was like, how, you know, we, we thought that we could do this mechanic finally because of the power of the hardware. Uh, also the thing we haven't mentioned yet, Paul is how beautiful the game looks. Mm. Right. It's stunning. Yeah. But those games have always been, really good looking hey paul yeah quit raining on my dream buddy <laughs> yeah dude it's i mean oh, sorry you say it like I it's not a big deal it's the most beautiful game ever and it made me feel things <laughs> unnatural things mm-hmm, mm-hmm. why i got thrown out of the event with my <laughs> no but i mean i i was so impressed there's like there's different kinds of mud in the in the game and the mud like clumps on the tires of the jeep in really realistic ways and sometimes it's really wet mud and sometimes it's dry mud and it has a different effect on how you drive through it and you know and you're in this big vista and you know you're you're trying to get to this volcano and they're they're like look at the volcano in the distance you're gonna drive to it we didn't get to drive to it because the demo stopped before we got there. But the idea is, you know, it's it's massive. It's it's much more open than it has been. Although, as as Paul mentioned, it is open, but it's not open open, right? It's not Witcher open. It's not Fallout open. It it does it is a very directed experience. And the other thing I would mention is, uh, in the demo we played, uh, you you know Sully is with you, and there's another character with you, and and I feel like this game is just dying out for co-op, man. I I, I don't think they're gonna do it, but it feels like with three people and the firefights where you know we we're in this massive firefight, and your buddies are like kind of running around and either you know trying to be helpful, and uh, for the most part the AI it was pretty helpful in my experience, but it just would be so much more fun if we could co-op our way through that game, Christian. Ah. Oh. I'd be down for that. Yeah, Don't get me wrong. I I enjoy the solo experience of of those games, even with co or AI controlled partners before, because really all they are is a sounding board for my character's witty dialogue. Right. Paul, I'm curious though what is what is what are the games that would make you get all the feels? Like, you know, I try to be objective with my stuff, but uh, at this point, I've really liked Remedy stuff before. I'm upfront about it. I've liked the God of War games. I've liked pretty much everything Naughty Dog's done. So chances are even if Uncharted 4 is a 6 
in my head it will still be an eight you know what i mean like i'll be like i still love it um the back half of uncharted 3 i'm like it it wasn't all bad uh (laughs) like what are the types or genres or specific games that that do get your blood going uh i'm a big fan of shooters both both first and third person uh i like action oriented rpgs you know more you know fallout than final fantasy uh i like racing games that are more lean towards arcade than than sim uh and i don't mean like like you know full on like you know super mario kart whatever they call it the next one but you know like forza i was playing a bunch of forza this weekend actually uh stuff like that i tend to be more like actiony than thinky yeah and you have uh, battlefield hardline on your on your playlist that seems like a game you're playing for fun not for a review right yeah yeah i i really liked it when it came out and and my thing is when i when i play a game i get to the end sometimes i'm like okay that's enough i don't need to play it again and sometimes i'm like okay i want to play that again but i put it away for like a year or something because I kind of want to come back to it somewhat or as fresh as I possibly can. Like I, I kind of, for me playing a game back to like twice back to back never makes any sense. Yeah. Like I still have alien isolation, you know, I still have, I want to play through Batman Arkham Knight again. I got a couple of their other old games, but you're, so that's why I went back to Hardline. You're, you're cranking on Hardline in, in the sort of single player campaign or are you, are you playing multiplayer? Yeah, just single player. I'm much more of a single player guy than, than multiplayer. Awesome. Um, and what, what brings you back to that game? Just sort of the action has done well? I really liked, I, you know, I, I had a lot of fun with that one when I played it. You know, you, you got to do some different stuff in it because you're a cop. You're not a soldier. Uh, honestly, to be honest with you, I don't remember a lot of that game. So it's hard for me to like. Say, but I do remember there being some fun stuff where you're driving, like a, a I don't even remember what they're called, the, the boats that have like the big fans in the back. Yeah, and you're, you're driving them around the swamp, like that was a lot of fun. Like the hover boats. Um, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Uh, Christian, you want to talk about Doom before we get to Quantum Break? Do you guys like Doom? I like Doom. Do you have fond memories of Doom. Jeff, what is what is Doom to you? It's um, big guns, it's fast action, it's demons, it's uh, things jumping out at me and making me uh, crap myself, it's dark corridors, it's uh, space. What would you want from Doom multiplayer? I guess I, I mean, I probably wouldn't be playing Doom multiplayer too much to be quite honest with you, but I guess what I would want is um, fast action, lots of, you know, very little downtime big guns lots of cool power-ups demons i don't know well aside from the first sentence about you not wanting to play doom multiplayer then this is the multiplayer for you (laughs) (laughs) does that mean it's Uh, the multiplayer for you well so it i mean it is the closed beta it's uh war zone oh man i should have looked this up i did but then i closed it when i needed to do something else um there's uh team deathmatch and then basically capture the flag hold the hill hold the moving hill zone and getting in jumping into this thing it feels like doom which is weird because doom has never really been known multiplayer per se the way quake is right it's a little slower than quake but faster than it immediately harkens back to that 90s first person shooter you're gonna have a a a quake uh or doom (laughs) multiplayer 
session going and land with your, you know, horrible, whatever crappy little IBM computer you had in college or whatever. And you're zooming around and one of the the loadouts you can choose right off right off the top is a rocket the guy with the rocket launcher and it's fast and you're picking up armor, you're picking up health, you're picking up the special weapons that load out. You can transform into a demon and it, the announcer will tell you it'll be like, you know, whatever. I'll just demon time. Right. And it'll be like <laughs> flashy gun loading in 30 seconds. And you're like, uh oh, it's on. You know, it's going to become a choke point in the way that, you know, you had mentioned how Microsoft captured the first person shooter on consoles in a way with Halo. And I think a big part of that was Halo 1's multiplayer was a twist on what was the popular PC multiplayer first-person shooter where you had the rocket launcher spawn in the middle of the map and hang them high or whatever, and it was like, oh boy, here we go. Let's go get rockets, right? And of course, Halo's multiplayer has evolved to its own thing. But this game immediately, immediately felt like that, the two levels or the two motos that are in the closed beta. And it's it's this weird thing of like, oh man, I'm back, baby. Like, this is it. This is all I've ever wanted. There's no aiming down the scopes. I have a rocket launcher from day one. This other guy has a laser rifle gun that's just exploding dudes from across the map. Uh, there's lava bubbling everywhere. And you're just you're zooming around, right? The, the constantly zooming. You're not hiding behind cover and poking out and popping up or, or camping with your sniper rifle from whatever. It's like, literally move, in the, move, move. In, yeah control the hill the hill's moving too yeah you're just you're running around this map like a chicken with your head cut off and then after playing it for maybe i don't know not quite two hours i was like i'm i'm done hmm. i'm done with that and it was like this weird thing where it has progression i know this is the closed beta where you, so the, i'm assuming the bigger game will have more like so it's like immediately doom immediately 90s quake unreal tournament like that style of first-person shooter multiplayer, like captured that essence in a big, big way for me. But then also added a progression system where you're unlocking perks that will do things like show your enemies health, where when you're running around normally, you don't see how much health they have left because games back then didn't show you that, right? It was never like, okay, this guy's down to 20%. Let's take that guy out. No, but you can unlock that uh, as you progress or level up. You can unlock seeing... Uh, or getting the countdown timer for where, like, exact before even the announcer comes in and tells you, like, where the big gun's going to come or where, like, the demon spawn is going to come in from. So it's these little perks that make you more map aware. You can also, so that after you die, you come back with a little bit more shield than you would normally start with. So you can tweak your character. There is that meant to be carrot at the end of the stick kind of thing. But while I was immediately in love with this game, I think for me personally, the multiplayer shooter has moved past this where I was totally in love with it. And then after a 90 minutes, two hours of nostalgia nineties time, I was like, well, this is fun. Now let's go to the dark zone. (laughs) Like now I'm ready for more division. So I don't want to tell people not to be excited for this game, but for me personally, the excitement wore off quickly in the multiplayer part. I do, however, still have high hopes for the single player, even this multiplayer beta, I thought was, Pretty dang beautiful. I was playing on PS4. Yeah, I was just going to ask that. Yeah, PS4. Cool. Hey, Christian. Yes. Do you think, though, because this is just just dawned to me, do you think that maybe this is just that mode, that maybe they have more contemporary style multiplayer modes, and that then they have these sort of also these throwback modes, or do you think it's all kind of throwback? My guess is that it's all kind of throwback and I haven't done the research to see if they've announced all the different multiplayer modes. I think they might have 
game types that might be a little different, but I think things like the character movement speed, the types of weapons that you're able to just start with, like you just start with a rocket launcher, you know? Um, and I guess I could tweak that for the modes, but things like character movement, uh, the way they had talked about maps, what they wanted them to be in terms of fluid. Um, to me, the game feels structured around that old school style of you're picking up armor, you're picking up health, you're constantly running and shooting, but I could be wrong, but that's my gut. Oh, all right. Let's get to Quantum Break now. Um, Paul and I have been playing it. Uh, Paul, your review went up on your site. Uh, yeah, you're on your site, right, uh, today? Yep. Uh, whenever the embargo lists it, what, Friday? Oh, Friday, right. Uh, tell me about your feelings on Quantum Break, Remedy's new Xbox One PC third-person game that is also a television show, kind of. Uh, no, it isn't. <laughs> no, it isn't. It's a game that has very long live action cutscenes, kind of like an old Command and Conquer game. Don't be fooled by this TV nonsense. Um, I was deeply disappointed. Well, not deeply disappointed because I didn't really know what to expect. And my first real experience with it was at a Microsoft event a couple months ago where I actually enjoyed the game, and then I was like, okay, this is cool. And then when I started playing it, I realized it had a couple of real fundamental problems, which is that it has way too much story, and that story isn't terribly interesting. And then it the action parts aren't all that great either. And as I said in my review, after a while, I just kind of lost all enthusiasm for it. And it's one of these things where, you know, as reviewers, we're supposed to play a game to completion before we post our review. And literally, that's the only reason I kept going. Mm. Like, if I didn't, ha- if that wasn't a thing, like an unwritten rule among game critics, like, I would have stopped after, like, the second act and just been like, here, mm-hmm. you know, I'm done. Yeah, um, I want more than anything to be counterpoint to this. Uh, I I really want... To, to argue with you on, on, on this one. Um, I love Remedy games. I love the Max Payne games. I had so many great memories playing Max Payne on my PC. Uh, I love Alan Wake. I think it's a very underrated game. I was ready to completely... I was so amped for this. I loved the fact that they delayed it. I thought it was just going to be so polished when it came out and so ready to rock. And I, I was intrigued by this idea because of the, uh, of the, um, you know, the live action stuff, because remedy has always been so interested in, in transmedia and stories and how in Max Payne and in Alan Wake, you walk up to a television and it'll be weird, like live action snippets on the television playing in the world. And I just thought now they finally have the budget and the tools to be able to integrate it completely. And it's amazing. And they're casting real live people, uh, you know, known actors to play these characters and, the technology is is grand enough to be able to sort of make this seamless transition from live action to game. And I was just so sold on it. And I will say that there is some positives here. I think the, the combat system with the time travel powers, because the idea is your main character, it's a time travel story. Your main character gets time travel powers, a whole bunch of them actually. And they are all combat related. They're all for use in combat for the most part. I need some puzzle solving with them too, but mostly they're there for combat. And the, the effect, the visual representation of those powers is really cool and really different than I've ever seen time travel powers shown in, in a movie or a video game before. And they, 
really change up the way you uh, approach these gunfights uh, and the fact that they're constantly proccing uh, very quickly so you get a chance to use them often uh, until the enemies have grenades that turn that off and it's very frustrating. But uh, when you're using those powers and zipping around the environment and putting people in stasis and using all that stuff, those firefights are really, really cool. The weird thing is I wish they weren't in the game. <laughs> I think <laughs> the best part of the game is the part that I would completely remove from the game, which is a weird thing to say, but what this game is trying to do is tell you a story. And it feels like they made concessions to being a video game on the way to telling you a story. You can argue whether the story is good or bad. Uh, it's I don't think it's great, but I don't think it's bad. But the really the, the, the jarring aspect, I think, of playing this game is that you have very realistic-looking characters played by real actors that you recognize from X-Men movies and, and TV shows you love. You are playing as these people, and it's grounded. I mean, you start the game like walking on a college campus, and it's beautiful and very well rendered, and like the environments feel very realistic. And then crazy science fiction stuff starts happening, and it feels very grounded. It feels like, yeah, this could I could believe this happening. And then you start murdering everyone. <laughs> and it and no one comments on it. Like the game is, is structured at the beginning as like a uh, as the whole thing as like a flashback. You're like being debriefed in this interrogation by some unknown person at the beginning, and she's asking you to tell tell the story. And there's a part at which your character, who's just this average guy, starts murdering everyone, starts shooting everyone out. And I wanted so badly for the game to, the narrator to be like, uh, "Wait a minute, you just you murdered everybody? Did you just?" You, you just took a gun and shot all the people? Uh, and she does not say that. And then a later part, there's like a part where you you save, or if you make a choice, that there are the choices I'll get to in a second. But you can make a choice to like save this girl. And the way you save her is you kill everyone in the room. And I wanted so badly for the girl to be like, did you just shoot all those people in the head? Are you a psychopath? Because, you know, we talk about ludonarrative dissonance, and I know it, it, it probably frustrates some people who are like, I just want my game to be a game, and I like shooting people, and who cares? But in a game like this, I mean, it's one thing in Uncharted, but in a game like this that is, is literally live-action versions of these characters intrude on your game time at points, you, the fact that no one comments that if this person did this in the TV show version they would come off like a complete insane person that, that they would be hunted by the cops because they're a, a mass murderer. It, it, it really feels jarring and weird. Uh, and, and I think that it's, it's a sad thing. You know, a lot of people are say, when I'm, I praise games like heavy rain uh, and beyond, but you know, I think this game wants to be those games and they say, Oh, you know, that's just there to serve a story and it should, it, but if they, if you want to tell a story in a video game, there's ways to do it and you don't have to shoehorn in this shooting stuff, which is honestly the best part of the game, which is weird to say, <laughs> but if they took out the guns, like if it was just like, maybe they're shooting at you, but you're just using your, your time powers to, to kind of disable them. I think that would even be less jarring. Um, I don't know how you feel about that, Paul. Uh, 
uh, I'm, I'm a little disturbed that you think killing lots of people is wrong. <laughs> okay. Um, I, you know, I hadn't really thought about it that, that way, but yeah, I mean, I mean, you can make that argument about a lot of games because the, you know, most games you kill more people than you ever would in real life, you know, including Call of Duty. Hopefully like, no soldier- one is more people than you would kill in real life, but that's. Well, yes, right, but I mean, like you know, even if you were a soldier in in a war, you don't kill nearly as many people as you do in your typical Call of Duty campaign. Right. Um, now that you've said this idea, though, about what if you weren't shooting people but you had time powers, like that's a kind of interesting idea. I kind of like that, especially because one thing I think of when I was playing the game is. You never got to do anything really super cool with the time powers the way Quicksilver did in, I don't remember, Days of, is it X-Men Days of Future yeah. Past? You know, there's a scene in that movie, spoiler alert, where he's running super fast and he moves all these cops into and guards into positions so that when time catches up, they've punch themselves in the face and like their bullets all miss Wolverine and all this other cool stuff. And now that you've kind of said that I'm thinking like that, that could have been a cool way to go about this game. Like you don't have any guns, you don't have any weapons. You literally just have to like run past people or put them in a position, like, you know, push them or do something to them. There's a few moments in the game where, you know, a time, break will happen and you just can take guns out of people's hands uh and and i think that's super cool and there's even a live action moment where they like wake up and they're like oh my god there's no guns in my hands that's weird um but you take the guns out of their hands so that you can then use them to murder people um anyway i I know i know that's a i think it's a an annoying complaint for a lot of gamers to hear it is something that really struck a chord with me but it's by far not the worst thing about this game. Well, I just feel like then though, the problem for me having not played this game, but listening to you both is that the problem maybe is more the story because if you had told me, Hey, remedy's making a game that's basically max pain, but this time, instead of no explanation for why you can slow down time, they shoehorn some lame story thing about why you can slow down time. And you're just going and murdering people to get revenge for someone who did you wrong. I would be like, Oh, great. I love Max Payne. I love Remedy shooting mechanics. Sign me up. Instead, they've created this world, it sounds like, where you shouldn't be murdering all these people. Like, if your gameplay is me murdering people, justify it. Call of Duty does it, and they're like, you're the best soldier that ever lived. <laughs> you go go I, murder and people. And Max Payne is this, like, grizzled noir story of this, you know, of a city that's that's dying, and you're the punisher, you know? it's it, that's, Right. That makes sense, right? Here you're, like, this this kid, this young man who's, you know a student and it's, it's very bizarre, <clears throat> but I, I want to move on past that because I, I know that's a, a frustrating comment from a, for a lot of people's perspective. And it's certainly not the reason I don't like the game. It's just the thing that it's a, just another reason I don't like the game. Um, <laughs> the other problem, I mean, we're, we're firmly in uncanny Valley here, right? And, and, and I think you do yourself no favors visually when you literally juxtapose CGI version of character with, uh, live action version of character. It, the game looks awesome and it's very visually impressive until we switch to live action. You go, Oh yeah, we're still a long way off from making something look real. Um, everything in the game that's not shooting 
I think is really handled very poorly. And it pains me to say that, but there's no, there are no time powers or time puzzles that happen that I haven't seen a thousand times. And every, every time travel thing has the, Hey, there's a broken thing. Rewind it to a time when it wasn't broken. And now you can walk over that. Um, there's no time travel thing that doesn't have the, Hey, stand on the thing that used to be up in the air and rewind time. And now you'll be up in the air. And then this game does it later in the game, but earlier in the game when it should have worked, it doesn't let you do that. And sometimes you can climb up walls and other times you can't climb up walls and the puzzles are really boring. And half the time you're looking around for, uh, all these narrative bits of information that are just giant blocks of email texts that I don't care to read in this moment that is supposed to be dramatically tense. And, and then we switch to the live action television show, which is like, uh, I was playing this game and then a bad episode of agents of shield broke out because <laughs> the, the live action television parts are not well done at all. You guys, and I'm really sad to say that it, it, they are poorly made and it, it reeks of like, low budget stuff, but I know that they didn't have low budget, like an overuse of green screen. They have these really big name actors, but they are just made to look chintzy in these odd environments. And the, the we're on, Oh my God. I, there's so many things we're on characters that aren't the characters we're playing as. And then the game gets to these points, these junction points where you make these big decisions about how things are going to go. And you're going to see different episodes of the TV show based on the junction question that you're going to answer. And, but you're making all your junction uh, decisions from the perspective of the bad guy. So why do I care what he chooses? How the Like you're choosing how his evil plan is going to go, yes or no, this direction or that direction. But you're playing as the good guy. So why do I care about making the decisions for the bad guy? Paul, help me out here. Uh, I kind of can't <laughs> because... By the time I got to the end of the first live-action cutscene, I had just lost all interest in the story. Yeah. And it, it, it never brought me back. And in fact, it's funny that you mentioned the, the, the quality of the, the movie stuff because I agree with you. It, does, it looks like a bad sci-fi channel show, you know, like Helix or something like that. But for me, like, I thought it was a, that was a complete waste of time. Like, I would have much preferred if that stuff was all done the same as every other cut. I agree 100%. I also think she's correct. It's, you know what it is? I don't know if everyone can remember this, but, like, it used to be, like, you would pick up a comic book, and the cover would look amazing, and then you'd look at the art inside, and it would be, like, ten steps below right. that. And it kind of made me, that something that games did for a while, too, where, like, cutscenes would look amazing and then the action in the game wouldn't look as good. And and obviously this didn't look amazing, but it's still that weird juxtaposition didn't work for me. So I, it's cool that you got so wrapped up in the story to complain about it, but like honestly like it lost me super quick and I was just like Well, right, I love it? time travel stuff and I think the idea of time travel is super cool. The way time travel works in this universe is neat. The way uh time travel looks in this universe is neat. But I agree with you. I think all those cutscenes, if they had just mo-capped the actors and done them in-engine, it would have been far better. And the thing that's so baffling about it is that it's not like the game itself doesn't have cutscenes. The game itself has lots of cutscenes. In fact, 
more cutscenes than playable moments. And then you're sort of in this game cutscene, and then it cuts to, and then it, like it that ends, and then you go to a live action extended. You can't call it a cutscene, but like an what they're calling an episode. But then you're with different characters, so there's there doesn't seem to be any clear idea of what is live action and what is in game cutscene. It just very arbitrary feeling, and it it makes the whole thing feels like a mishmash and. Just the feel of the game isn't great. It's it's really hard for me, having played so many hours of The Division recently, to go to a third-person action game that does not control as precisely as The Division does. And this game certainly feels much more mesh, mushy. And, and like I said, sometimes you can climb on things and sometimes you can't. And when you get close to something, you can access it. But if you get too close to it, you can't. And... It's just all very doesn't feel polished, and that doesn't feel like a remedy game to me. It's 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 very disappointing, Christian. Very disappointing. Well, I've listened. I, I listened to you guys talk about it, and I've heard your reviews. And I'm going to go buy the game because I want to be involved in the conversation. So well, I, I'm discounted. I would I, nothing would make me happier than you liking it and have a counterpoint because I really wanted to be counterpoint to Paul's position. I really wanted to, and there are some good things. Like I said, that. The, the time travel powers fighting stuff is really cool and in a different game would be so rad. But it, this game, in, in this package, trying to do what it's trying to do just so poorly on kind of every level, it just, it didn't, it's very, very sad to me. So you're telling me to get excited for Ratchet and Clank. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like what's, what's, it makes me sad. I had high hopes for this game. I thought it, it looked really cool. Again, Remedy had done good things, and the, the actors they have behind the you know the mocap and the live action stuff are people whose work I've enjoyed and I know can act. So this thing coming together as a hodgepodge mish miss sorry mish miss more than a make uh, it makes me sad. And it also makes me sad because I feel like it's another um, knock against the Xbox One, which is I, I enjoy it so much about the console, and I feel like it's tough when it just gets piled on with some what appear to be potential big misses. Yeah. Uh, a couple of the games on my playlist, I just want to bring up briefly uh, Salt and Sanctuary. If you guys haven't heard about this, uh, I know Dark Souls 3 is out this week, but Salt and Sanctuary is Dark Souls done in 2D, and it's amazing. Uh, it's amazing. It's amazing that they can make that work, and it really is Dark Souls, almost down to every detail. Uh, and it works. It's it's incredible. It looks cool. Very much worth checking out. Salt and Sanctuary. Uh, I played it on Steam. It is, um, it's difficult. It's 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 dark. It's got that same kind of milieu as Dark Souls. It's got the same kind of like get to a bonfire and be safe. It's got this sort of Metroidvania esque uh, exploration of environments, but but done in two. It's two D. It's it's really cool. Uh, and then just, you know, I haven't talked about Heroes of the Storm in a long time, but there's a big, big patch that came out this week that added bands to the game, which changes everything. And maybe at some point I'll go into detail about the sort of psychological experiment that seems to be happening in the, in all MOBAs and in this one in particular. Like adding bands is such a fascinating thing uh, because it makes people pay attention in the draft now. So the idea here is, you know, you're in, in ranked play, you draft your team, but now that... At, two periodic moments there are there's one character designated or excuse me one player designated on each team 
to be the one to ban a, a character from both teams selecting it. And it just completely changes everything. It's fascinating to me. Um, so I'll, I'll go into detail about that some other time, but uh, I've been playing a lot of that this week as well. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit uh, about some feedback that we got uh, from uh, dlcfeedback at gmail.com. This is an email that was sent to us by John. I really enjoyed it. I thought I'd read it. He says, what's up, guys? Just emailing to chime in on the Division talk I've been hearing on the last few episodes, specifically Jeff's experience of teaming up in the Dark Zone to chase down a rogue agent. I've played a good amount of games over the years, but the games I always come back to are the ones that give me those moments or micro experiences. And the Division does this so well. Sure, it's fun to run around a Call of Duty map spraying bullets or grind Diablo 3 for that legendary weapon, but those memories are gone as soon as they come. Then there's games like The Division. There's nothing like turning a corner in the dark zone to witness a squad of four go rogue on a solo player. Then they turn and look at me and go, guys, we've got another one. Never have I worked so hard for a white pom-pom beanie. Haha. Anyway, just thought I'd write in to share that. Love the show. Great perspectives from both you guys. I look forward to every episode. P.S. That white pom-pom beanie looks dope. Thought that was pretty cool. Uh, Are you still playing The Division, Christian? I am still playing The Division. Uh, The Dark Zone is still a strange and terrifying place. That is not worth it uh, for a white pom-pom beanie. But never mind, because it's level 52 beanie. (laughs) Uh, The Division continues. I I think I've talked about before. I wanted to clarify, like, story-wise, in the moment, it feels great. And, like, you're like, oh, we got to go take out these guys. We got to go do this thing. It's only when you peel back and you look at it like, wait, this was four days after the virus spread? (laughs) (laughs) Where it gets to be ridiculous, but that game is is strong. I should note that I have not gone back to Destiny since I started playing The Division. I still yeah. like Destiny, but my time has been sucked away. Well, it'll be very interesting. Uh, April twelfth, the new the new uh, content comes out. I'm very excited. New incursion, uh, new gear sets, uh, gear trading, which is something I've been wanting for a long time. I'm very excited for uh, playing more of The Division. I've been playing it daily as well. So fun, Paul. You into The Division? I really love that game. It's it's probably my favorite game of the year, but as I, I said earlier, I don't play well with others, so I played it on my own. I didn't bother going into the dark zone, and I've played through the whole thing, and now I'm just waiting for more story missions to show up. I'm kind of hoping they like expand into New Jersey, because I'd love to be able to go to my mom's house and... <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm on, I'm hoping they add like completely new cities. I'd love to like have my character get on a plane and go to Chicago or Los Angeles or Seattle or something. I think that would be super cool. They have so many places they can go with it. I don't think they would do that for this one. I feel like that might be like the next right. one. Yeah. You know, like this one, like they'll probably go to like Queens or Staten Island or, you know. Yeah, the greater Los Angeles. Go down area. to Soho or something. Yeah. I mean, you know, they, they especially because that game is limited to like really just midtown Manhattan and then also like a little bit of Brooklyn. So yeah, I want to, I want to fight all the way up the stairs of the statue of Liberty, man. Let's do it. Um, here's another email that we got at DLC feedback at gmail.com. This comes from Jay cap or cappy. Uh, he says, Hey, Jeff and Christian, the, uh, the day at E3 last year when I flew a starfighter in Eve Valkyrie on the near final Oculus rift, changed my life in a way that I hadn't experienced since I first tried the unit, uni- <laughs> the user interface of the original Macintosh. It is something I must have, but right now costs and health concerns are holding me back. 
Two thoughts came to mind as I listened to your recent DLCs about VR and upgraded consoles. One, Phil Spencer last year commented about VR on Xbox with, it's not a unique ad. And yes, they have the HoloLens, but now that the PS4.5 has been hinted at and PSVRs are flying off digital shelves, I was wondering if if that could change. Xbox 1.5 could use the same increase in horsepower for VR. Can we also imagine a situation where Kinect makes a comeback to create room-scale VR for Oculus? And Xbox users already have the controller that Oculus includes. It still won't be cheap, but it's more affordable than a high-end PC rig. It could have the kind of market penetration that Oculus and Facebook are looking for. Uh, We'll start with that question because I have some some thoughts about it. First of all, one of the things I hear from VR developers uh, a lot is that mapping your body into the game is a challenge. Obviously, Vive and the upcoming Oculus Touch controllers and the Move controllers on PSVR map your, your hand positions and the headsets themselves map your head position and you can extrapolate some data from those. But they talk a lot about the fact that when you look down at yourself, and if you see your elbow and your elbow isn't where your elbow is supposed to be because you can hold your hand in space and your head in space and move your elbow around and it may not be exactly where you know your elbow to be. If it's wrong, it really creates a disorienting effect and it kind of ruins the immersion level. So most of the games that you're finding, at least at release of these uh, consoles or these uh, VR headsets, Uh, just show you sort of ghost hands that are disembodied from the rest of your body. And I think that's very, it's it's kind of a bummer, especially in games like The Climb and and others where you really do want to look down and see a body. You really want to feel like you're actually in that space. Connect can be the solution to that. And I think it's such a shame that the one console that has this full body scanning uh, peripheral is the only one that doesn't have a VR headset currently to release. So if there is an Xbox 1.5, and we referenced earlier that Phil Spencer says he's sort of not as interested in that, but I want, I want PC manufacturers to, to start letting me plug my connect into my PC and have it give input to my body position for Vive games, because I think that is going to be the real game changer to be able to see your entire body position and map that into the VR space, I think would be massive. You guys have any thoughts about this, Paul? Uh, I'm going to wait till they invent the holodeck. That's the whole point is that we're getting there, baby. We're, baby steps, baby steps. I don't want baby steps. I want the whole thing now. Mm, well, fair enough. Uh, Christian, do you, do you have a, a feeling about this? I mean, I, I, to some extent, I feel like it's, what you mentioned in um quantum break right like don't do a cut scene and then cut to live people because anything that takes you out it's all about immersion right and anything that isn't that isn't that (laughs) and i as a total idiot developer like i don't understand this at all i i feel like i'd be very cautious to to tinker with what works does that make sense because that makes a lot of sense to me (laughs) Well, so are you, do you think, I mean, I think having connect or a connect like kind of uh, bring your body into the game world, sense where my feet are, where my hips are, all that stuff. So I can look down and see it in the VR space. Uh, I think that'd be huge. 
But it needs – but you said it though, but it needs to work. Well, it does. It, it would work. I mean it does work. It, it It's – we just don't have the companies with the big full body sensor being the companies that are making the VR headsets. Wow. I mean that's an interesting point and I don't want to – hopefully this analogy doesn't confuse people more. But as I was watching the Tesla Model 3 reveal, I was sitting there thinking how insane it is that the quote-unquote masses, not the real masses, but – a lot of people, a $35,000 car is apparently going to come out that is going to be an electric car that goes over 215 miles per charge. And this is from a company that didn't exist, whatever it was, 20 years ago, that came in and started making electric cars and they had to do everything from zero. And some might argue it's easier because of that. But at the same time, you also had companies that already had scale and were already making every other part of a car that looked at this thing and didn't didn't do it, right? Like until recently, now Nissan has a thing and Chevy's making a thing. And it, and it kind of blows my mind that it takes this disrupting the space to make this new thing. That's, that's but called, at the same time- called inertia and momentum, right? It's hard to, to change the, a battleship trajectory. Right. Yeah. But, but at the same time, isn't that what Oculus is though? Isn't Oculus Tesla? I mean, yeah. shouldn't they have been the ones like- Lucky Palmer Lucky made this thing. But what did Tesla do first, right? They came out with the extraordinarily expensive thing that only a few people could afford to prove that it was cool. Right. So they are doing the exact same model that Tesla is doing. And maybe in however many years it's been since the first Tesla came out, we'll have the, you know, $69 Oculus headset that everybody can buy. And that'll be cool. Uh, And I I think that's probably what, what, what they want to have happen. And we'll all have... VR headsets, but I'm also excited about driving the first Tesla. You know, I'm a, right. No, no, no. But headsets. I'm saying in terms of like tracking your body and adding that full immersion. Here's a company that when they sat down to create the next big thing without that inertia of the battleship going a certain direction, what they decided to focus on and do was this headset and headset tracking. Now, I don't know if that means that getting your whole body in didn't make business sense because of all the uses for VR or didn't, you know, with you being tethered to a computer, wouldn't make sense, but for whatever reason, or if they couldn't implement it in a way that I remember when connect was demoed on stage the first time and they're doing that dodgeball game and his leg just started twitching out of control. And it was like, uh Oh, <laughs> uh, or when Nintendo showed off, um, Zelda with, um, on the Wii and it was like, and you can aim so precisely. And then the arrow was just like <laughs> going everywhere. And it was like, well, it's because of the bright light from the E3 demo stage. Regardless, I, I'm wondering that here's this company that created this new thing from zero and they chose not to include that. I have to give them a little bit of credit and assume it wouldn't it be good to have I, I it right think now. That's, I think that's a, a leap of assumption that, that you're making that maybe maybe is true, but I think it's more about they, the decision that they made was a business decision to say, hey, what we should start with is getting people the seated experience in front of their computer that's safe, that's uh, very similar to what they're already used to, and that is a, a, a smaller leap of of um, habit, I guess. You know, we don't have to change how you play games completely. We're just adding this new display type. And I think Vive is a little more ambitious in saying, no, we're going to start at room scale and just go from there. You know, that's why they're doing the staggered release of the Oculus Touch controllers is to sort of established one thing move up from there and i think i'm hoping we get to what we all want which is what paul wants which is the holodeck uh, getting your whole body in there 
Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I, I, I think I agree with Paul, though. Like, we want that now. And I think, unless I misunderstood you, you're saying, why can't we do that now? Right? I'm or, saying, or like, yeah, we, we can absolutely do that now. And I think that's what uh, our, our emailer, Jay, is saying, is is that, you know, do, do you think that Microsoft would be willing to jump into there? I, I'm, I, my instinct says that having the Xbox One controller ship with the Oculus is more than just that, that that is just the beginning of a relationship. And I suspect that whether it's this Xbox, the Xbox One, or if it's an, another Xbox or there's some other iteration, at some point, Oculus and Xbox will be more than just uh, pen pals. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Um, I'll skip the second part of his question because uh, he was concerned about health stuff and it's something that I want to talk about in depth, but we're kind of running out of time and I haven't had a tabletop time in the last few episodes. So I want to make sure we carve out a little bit of tabletop time. Right now, right now. Uh, all right, Christian, you have, uh, a, a game whose title is, is, Really fun to say. You've been playing a little game with your kids, perhaps? And we have a new a new game to play with a three and a half year old. It is the sneaky snacky squirrel oh, game. Oh adorable. Yeah, buddy. And it, it's an edutainment. This isn't um settlers or anything like that, right? Don't play this with your friends at game night, uh thirty year old people. <laughs> uh the the idea of the game is it has a spinner. And you're trying to put different color, fill your tree stump with the correct color acorns. And as you spin, you either get to get one, a certain color, or you lose them all, or you can steal an acorn from someone else's tree stump, or you have to pass and you don't get a turn. And to do it, there's a little squirrel that's like a kid's chopstick kind of thing that can't come apart, but it's teaching dexterity. So the point of the game in terms of edutainment stuff is it's teaching dexterity and control of picking up this acorn with an external object um, like chopsticks or something like that. Color recognition and then also being comfortable losing everything and then having something taken from you, which is something that children can often struggle with where you have a toy and then someone else wants it and takes it. I can still struggle with that. (laughs) <laughs> we all do that's true uh and and it puts it in a game setting that makes it fun and and estelle my three and a half year old really loves it she loves playing it she when she gets the lose a turn thing she you know swings her fist across her body and goes oh shucks and then when she gets to steal someone else's acorn she goes because i'm the sneaky squirrel and it's cute and adorable and i think it it teaches it teaches good lessons in a in a, a fun Way. I'm not sure if it's quite uh, Zingo level good, but uh, <laughs> is, I got an, a lot of response to Zingo. Yeah. So there are a few other parents that uh, are digging these. No, I'm glad you bring them up. I think games. it's useful. And it's called <laughs> Sneaky Snacky Squirrel Game. And yeah. uh, uh, it's it, it sounds it sounds delightful. I can't I think playing uh, tabletop stuff with with kids is awesome. And I plan to do it with my own. That's fun. Um, wanted to read an email that was sent to uh, dlcfeedback at gmail.com. This is from Stephen Nguyen. He says, uh, hi, uh, during your tabletop segment, you talk a lot about multiplayer board games, but my wife and I like playing a lot of Scrabble one-on-one. Do you have any suggestions for a 1v1 board game that we could play? Preferably a game that doesn't have any turn timer. She likes to take her sweet time deciding. Thanks. Love the podcast. Uh, Steven, I get this question more than any other question. <laughs> this is the number one board gaming question I ask. And I think it's because we all have, those of us that have uh, significant others in our lives, have a partner right there that, that we want to play games with. 
Um, and it's often easier to, to just do one V one than it is, you know, having a board game night. So I get it. I'm in there. Here's my, here are my stock answers to my favorite one versus one games. Are you guys ready? Cause these are the ones I always tell people on Twitter. And every time I get this question, uh, battle line, it's a game by Reiner Knizia. Awesome. It's all numbers, uh, but it's, it's, it's really cool. It's really slick plays quickly. You're bite, you're battling over these pawns in the, that are between you and you have to make strings of numbers and the better string will win uh, each line in your battle line. Very, very cool game. It's called battle line. Uh, it's cheap too. It's very inexpensive. Another Reiner Knizia game is called Lost Cities. Again, you're using numbers. I like these these games because they're very easily accessible to people that sort of grew up playing, you know, traditional <laughs> card games. Because you know, you know how to, you know, assemble a hand of cards if you played poker or whatever. Uh, so, Lost Cities is a, a game about delving into archaeological archaeological relics, but it's kind of only barely about that. It's mostly about again assembling strings of numbers in the correct pattern and winning. Uh, across the table from each other. Very cool stuff. Um, Summoner Wars is a much more complicated 1v1 game, but it's great. It's from Plaid Hat Games. Uh, You are literally summoning creatures to your table out of your deck and moving them across the board in specific positions and trying to kill your enemy's base. Uh, Each creature that you summon has different movement patterns. And you have these specific decks that you can buy. And the game has tons of different decks that you can invest in if you get into it. So that's called Summoner Wars. Uh, I really enjoy the game Splendor for two players, although it can play up to four. Uh, We've talked about that game a lot on this show. Uh, My very favorite board game of all time is called Le Havre. L-E space H-A-V-R-E. Le Havre. Uh, It's a French word, a French location, a, a dock in France. And uh, it's my very favorite board game of all time. It plays great with two people, also plays great with three people. More than that, gets a little long and unwieldy, but it is a very, very cool game about building buildings on this dock, getting all kinds of goods and converting those goods into other kinds of goods. It's, it's the best. There's always awesome decisions to be made. And the decisions you're faced with are like just the, which of these amazing different options should I take? There's so many cool things I could do on my turn. I have so many different awesome things. Should I get this pile of wood to to build something? Or should I, you know, get this amazing cache of fish to make me sure I'm fed for my next turn? There's always really cool things to do on your turn. It's called Lahav. Plays great with two. Um, I'm running out of, uh, there's a whole bunch of them, but that's a great, great list to get you started on 1v1 games. and I encourage you and your wife to let me know of any ones that you uh, you uh, may find for yourself. I too love Scrabble, but I think you can you can expand beyond Scrabble. There's lots of really cool stuff. There's a lot of great word games as well um, out there. Uh, Kerflip is one I talked about a while back. Anyway, so good luck, and uh, I think there's a, some a great list to get you started. All right, guys, we're going to wrap up the show now. Uh, We do have our parting gift coming at you right around the corner, so stay tuned for that. In the meantime, Paul Semmel, thank you so much for being here, man. It was great. Uh, Where can people keep up with your exploits on the internet? Uh, Well, the best place is my website, which is just my name, paulsemmel.com, P-A-U-L-S-E-M-E-L. It's where I cover games and books and toys and jazz albums and anything else that no one will pay me to cover for them. Uh, I write a lot, like I said, for Game Crate and Playboy.com and comic book resources and 
you know, I'm just a big loose. Person, so. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Very cool. And are you on the, on the Twitter? Uh, I'm on Twitter uh, at Paul Semmel, all one word, lowercase. Uh, you'll know it's me because you'll see a weird picture of an old guy looking like a South Park Love character. It. Christian, how about you? What do you got going on this week? Twitter's the best way to get in touch with me. It's at Spicer, S-P-I-C-E-R. Um, I was just down in San Diego last week, and shows were incredible. I will be back down there at the La Jolla Comedy Store, or whatever that is, April 22nd, 23rd, I think is that, Friday, Saturday. So if you were in San Diego or around or know people, tell people to come out there. And then my parenting podcast, Department of Parenting. You can find uh, the iTunes, RSS, and browser streaming links at departmentofparenting.com. We have our first guest. We've uh, dipped our toe into having guests come on and do it. And um, our first couple of guests, I can tease here. Um, the last name might rhyme with McElroy, something along mm. those lines. So an interesting perspective on wonderful podcast people talking about parenting. You can find those episodes coming up soon. Jeff, what about you? I have many other shows I encourage you to, to try out. If you want to hear me talk about movies and TV shows, why don't you check out the Slash Filmcast? You can find that at SlashFilmcast.com. And uh, maybe you want to hear me talk about science with a comedic twist. Um, check out We Have Concerns. You can find that at WeHaveConcerns.com. Also, there is a technology podcast and future podcast that I uh, enjoy. It's a video show. If you want to see me on video, Go over to tomorrowdaily.com and see me host with Ashley Esqueda on Tomorrow Daily. Really fun show there with cool guests every Thursday um, and every day. All right, so that's going to do it for this episode, but we do want to give you a little parting gift to get you through your week. Hey, give us a suggestion of what to do this week. Give us a parting gift. This is your parting gift. Paul, do you have a recommendation for people uh, that might not be a video game? I do, and I actually figured out a weird video game connection awesome. to it. Um, I, I don't know if you guys have ever done it, but there is a series of science fiction novels by a writer named Anne Leckie, L-E-C-K-I-E. Um, it's a trilogy. It, uh, Ancillary Justice is the first one. And the reason I thought of it is because if you guys remember in the Mass Effect games, there was a character named Edie who was voiced by the, the woman Trisha Helfer from Battlestar Galactica, and then, spoiler alert, she gets a body and ends up looking like the woman from that Aerosmith Just Push Play album. These books actually center around something very similar. Uh, in this world, we've conquered space. We go around the universe in these giant spaceships that are controlled by AIs. But the AIs can actually download themselves into uh, human bodies to, you know, if they have to go down to the town or whatever. And in the first book ancillary justice the lead character is a woman quote unquote who was the ai of a battleship but is now separated from the battleship the battleship is gone and she is running around on her own trying to help a friend of hers who's like a drug addict right yeah it yeah i started just started this recently ancillary justice it it's got weird pronoun stuff right like sometimes it's he sometimes it's her sometimes it's she it's 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 right. Yeah, that's that's the only thing about those books that I'm that I'm not crazy about because and there's an explanation for it. It has to do with like not being totally sure what people are, so they just kind of refer to everyone as she. And I just kind of 
after a while, I kind of forgot about that and I just went for it. And I just assumed that everybody in a position of power mm-hmm. was a woman. And they never actually like do anything weird with that. Like it's never like, you know, they don't ever talk about like genitalia. So it's not like, you know, oh, she has a really big, you know, sausage. <laughs> and you're like, uh, huh? Right. Like it never gets into that. Like if you just kind of forget about that, you just assume that like everyone in a position of power is a, right. is a, a woman. I think the books are really, really good. The third one, uh, Ancillary Mercy, came out last year. I think they're really well written. And I think that people who like hard sci-fi, like you saw in Mass Effect, um, will definitely dig on these Excellent books recommendation. Well. The Ancillary Novels by Anne Leckie. Christian, how about you? What's your parting gift? It's been on tour for a while, and I'm not sure how much longer they're going to keep doing it, but uh, I should have recommended it earlier, and I'm doing it now, maybe when it's too late. But uh, Nick Kroll and John Mulaney started from episodes of Comedy Bang Bang. They have a live show that is on Off-Broadway and touring around called Oh Hello, and um, they play old Jewish neighbor, roommate, friends, and it is it's so good. Uh, I was able to see it a couple of times when they were still tinkering it and fine tuning it when they were doing it just as kind of secret shows at UCB here. And now it's the full real show is here in Los Angeles. And I know it's been around the country before, but if they keep taking it around, Nick Kroll, John Mulaney doing Oh Hello is really, really funny. Cool. Uh, I got another comic book recommendation for you. Uh, It's a Mark Miller book called Jupiter's Circle. Uh, We talked a little bit about Batman v Superman, but if you want your Justice League to be dark and interesting and uh, a kind of a look at what's happening in the real world, don't go see Batman v Superman because it's bungled. Read Jupiter's Circle. I I think analogs to to the Justice League do this stuff so much better and have done in many, many, many cases. I mean, Watchmen and Rising Stars and on and on and on. But Jupiter's Circle is the latest in the long line of those. This is what if superhero a superhero team like the Justice League really lived and really kind of came into existence around the same time that comic books did. What would it be like as they marched through the decades of history and butted up against real life historical events uh, and had real life uh, kinds of problems like uh, being uh, blackmailed because one of the members is homosexual or um, having actual infidelity among the among the members, or uh, one of the members becoming sympathetic to a real crazy underground political movement that happened in the '60s. Really fascinating, interesting, cool, cool stuff. Great art, grounds it in reality. It's called Jupiter's Circle, and uh, it's written by Mark Miller, who you probably know from Kick Ass and uh, Wanted and a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, so check that out. I'm really, I think it's amazing. The first series is collected in a graphic novel and the second series is coming out now. All right, guys, uh, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks so much to Paul Semmel and Christian Spicer. Uh, thanks to all the people that supplied music for this show uh, in the form of bumpers, Patrick L, Zero Star, uh, Sean Madigan and his wife. Uh, thanks to everybody who contributed by sending in emails to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. We appreciate your interaction. And thanks to all of you who have downloaded and listened to this show. Please tell your friends. We appreciate you letting them know and maybe give us a review. Five-star ratings on the iTunes are helpful. We appreciate it. Uh, we'll be back next week with another show. Until that time, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. 